that focuses on mental health education for marginalised peoples. My name is Guy Thrunaya and I'm a practising counsellor in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The aim of this podcast is pretty simple. It's about trying to help brown people who live in white worlds with healing themselves and looking after their own mental health. I understand that terms like marginalised, brown and POC or people of colour are contested, but these are terms that make sense to me and that's why I use them. If they don't work for you, that's okay, but expect to hear them here. And that might mean this podcast isn't for you, which is okay too. So who am I? I'm a double diaspora kid. My family immigrated from the south of India to work in the colonial rubber plantations of Malaysia. And then my parents migrated from Kuala Lumpur to Auckland, New Zealand, or Tamaki Makoto. I arrived in Tamaki Makoto when I was one year old, and I spent most of my formative years there and completed all of my secondary and tertiary education there, before heading overseas for a while and then rooting myself in Wellington, or Te Whanganui Atara, with my partner on my return. I'm a counsellor, I'm a relatively new counsellor, and prior to training as a counsellor I worked extensively in the field of women's rights and also in fields adjacent to mental health, such as youth work and health promotion. Currently I work full-time as a counsellor, and I think of this podcast as being about skill sharing. Having good mental health shouldn't have to be something you pay a whole lot of money for. It shouldn't be proprietary. And so that's why I created Brown People White World. So why the name Brown People White World? I picked the name of the podcast because it is something that resonates with me personally. As a migrant in a settler society, I spent much of my early years feeling like an alien, and this definitely influenced both how I view the world and my mental health. I feel like the title, Brown People, White World, captures the essence of this experience, as well as signalling who might find this podcast most useful. I recognise that not all marginalised peoples are brown, or vice versa. This title just reflects a specific experience that I hope might speak to some people. Of course, anyone is free to listen and take what they can from it. Just a little content warning before we get into the meat of the podcast. This podcast deals with issues of mental health and so may sometimes include mention of subjects that people might find triggering. There are no specific or graphic descriptions, just brief mentions of the types of situations and events that might be traumatic. In the previous episode, we went into details about what trauma is and how it can impact people and make managing everyday life really difficult. The great news is, is our brains are super resilient and it is definitely possible to get back to a place where you feel healthy and happy most of the time, or what we might call normal functioning. It's important to remember that healing from trauma is not a one-size-fits-all sort of thing, so don't be discouraged if one or more approaches does not work for you. This doesn't mean you're broken and cursed to feel the effects of trauma forever, it just means you haven't found the right way in yet. In this episode, I'm going to cover in broad strokes some approaches that you can take towards healing yourself from trauma. I think it's important to remember that you also need quite different methods when you're in crisis versus when you're kind of feeling good. And people tend to think about being in crisis as the times when they need to do that healing sort of work, but it's actually not true. All you can do in crisis is try and return to a place of stability and normality and it's in the other parts of the time where you know you are feeling quite good that you should be doing that deeper work of healing so that you're in crisis less often if that makes sense. The deeper work of healing cannot be undertaken when someone is in crisis. It is simply too overwhelming and can sometimes be dangerous. So try and be real with yourself when it comes to assessing where you're at right now. 
Sometimes we can be in crisis without actually recognizing it because it's not necessarily big and dramatic. It's not always having lots of flashbacks and being unable to leave the house. Sometimes the signs are a lot more subtle. A good way of figuring out where you're at at the moment is thinking about your window of tolerance. All this means is your personal capacity to handle discomfort, whether that be physical, emotional or mental. Imagine two parallel lines and inside those parallel lines is a monitor, like a heart rate monitor that you see on TV that, you know, goes up and down. But instead of measuring your heart rate, this monitor measures stress. And so it spikes up when there's stress in your life and goes back down when there isn't. And the bigger the stress, the higher the spike. And so if you're imagining those two lines, the further apart they are, the bigger your capacity to handle stress is. And so that means you can take a lot more stress before the spike hits one of those lines. And when a spike hits a line is where people tend to use some of those unhelpful coping strategies that we talked about in the last episode. So have a good think. What, what, how big is your window of tolerance? Do you find yourself, you know, really checking out of life quite a lot? Do you find things really overwhelming a lot of the time? Do you find that you kind of have to use a lot of substances to kind of get through the week, whether that be, you know, having a toke or having a drink every day after work? Just try and think clearly about those kinds of things. People who have experienced trauma often have much smaller windows of tolerance than people who haven't. However, even amongst people who have experienced trauma, there's a range of the size of people's windows of tolerance. If you have a very small window of tolerance, I recommend that you first work on making it bigger because that will increase your capacity to undertake more of that deeper underlying healing work. So how do we go about growing our window of tolerance? And as usual, the answer is different things work for different people. But there are some basic principles. Firstly, having a good brain-body connection widens that window. Any activity that you do that involves you being present in your body improves the brain-body connection. So one of the most obvious examples that people can understand when I talk about this is yoga. Um, which places a specific emphasis on uniting the mind and the body through linking movement with the observation of breath and paying attention to the cues your body is giving you. However, this is not the only option and any activity which helps you develop that mind-body awareness can have the same benefits. So if you really hate yoga, don't worry. (laughs) You can try anything really. Um, Dance, tai chi, qigong, mini martial arts, some form of weightlifting, all of these things are activities that help to grow that connection. What I would caution you against are things where you kind of are encouraged to dissociate to get through them. So for example, um, marathon running or any other kind of really extreme endurance sport where you have to kind of push past a lot of pain because often that means you know we're trying to be outside of our body rather than inside of our body because it's super uncomfortable. I'm not saying these things are bad they're just not super helpful for the type of work that we're interested in right now. At the end of the day it can be as simple as paying attention to how your feet feel when you're walking or the sensations you can feel as you breathe when doing any ordinary everyday thing. What matters is paying attention to your body and trying to be present in it as much as possible. There are some caveats though. For a lot of people the body is the site of trauma. 
For example, if you've experienced physical violence or sexual violence, these things happen to our bodies, not just our minds. And so in that case, tuning into the body can sometimes be a trigger in and of itself. So it's very important when you're working on being present in your body to go slowly and pay attention to your own reactions. If you find yourself feeling anxious or angry without being able to pinpoint a reason, back off and take note of what you feel, paying attention to which part kind of caused that reaction and focus on other areas for the time being. Growing the window of tolerance is an important step towards healing from trauma and it can help us be triggered less frequently and it can help us be better able to manage our lives on the day-to-day, manage those stresses that we talked about in the last episode. But what happens when you are triggered anyway? What do you do then? How do you take care of yourself? And being triggered will happen even as you do try to take steps to heal. It's pretty much inevitable. And in some ways it's valuable because it, it does give you opportunities to resolve trauma. The first step to being able to take care of yourself when you are triggered is to be able to recognize that you have been triggered in the first place. And ironically, the work around growing your brain-body connection makes this easier to notice. So how can you tell that you've been triggered? What are the signs? These are personal to everybody. So take a moment, if you can, to reflect on times in the past when you think you might have been triggered. Can you remember what was happening in your body? Did your heart start beating faster? Did you start sweating or crying uncontrollably? Did your temperature increase or decrease? Did your muscles tense up or did they become all loose and floppy? Different triggers may also result in different responses, so it is important to pay attention. A trigger basically puts our brain and body back into that state of fight, flight or freeze. And it's important to dispel that energy and return our physiology to a state of normal functioning. As triggers take us back to the past, a useful first step might be to remind yourself of where and who you are in the present. This could be a structured grounding exercise or something simple like focusing on planting your feet on the floor and feeling the strength in your leg muscles. Or if being in your body is unhelpful to you, noticing and describing five things that are around you in five detail. Once you are back in the present, the next step is to do something constructive that makes you feel good. This could be doing some exercise, using meditation or a breathing exercise, listening to music you love, talking to a friend, watching a movie you like, getting a cuddle from something. Anything that you personally find comforting and makes you feel good. However, it is important that you don't think However, it is important that you don't do things like get drunk or use other substances. These make it harder for your brain to integrate traumatic memories and might mean that you actually get triggered more frequently. These steps might seem small and simple, but with sustained effort, they can be very helpful. So in summary, firstly, do something that brings you back into the present, and you are the person who knows best what that might be. And secondly, do something that makes you feel calm and good. The third step is to record what has happened. So if you can, note down what triggered you, how you felt when you were triggered, and what you did to bring yourself back into the present and to make yourself feel better. Keeping these kinds of records will make it easier for you in the long term to be able to look back, as well as helping you increase your awareness of of recognizing what it feels like to be triggered. If you struggle to find something that brings you into the present, conscious breathing can be very helpful. 
Focusing on our breath stimulates our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our brain that puts the brakes on. It's what prepares us for rest and relaxation. One of the easiest ways to stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system is to try and make our exhales longer than our inhales. So for example, if you breathe in for one, two, try and breathe out for one, two, three, while keeping your breath slow and even and making sure you're not you know, tightening up and hyperventilating. So far we've talked about preparing yourself to be able to do the deep work of healing and for being able to take yourself out of a state of crisis. What I'd like to talk about now is a brief overview of the types of ways you can engage to do that deeper healing work that I mentioned earlier. The first method I'd like to cover is structured talk therapy. Talk therapies are probably the go-to thing someone thinks about when we, you know, think about what it means to heal from trauma. They include things like counselling, psychotherapy, psychology. But it's important to know that when it comes to working with trauma, not all modalities are created equal. But the thing that counts the most is whether you form a good relationship with the practitioner you are seeing. So take your time. Most practitioners will offer a free session where you can get to know them to see if they're the right fit for you. You should be able to feel comfortable talking to your practitioner about anything really and not feel judged by them, although they sometimes may challenge you. It might also be useful to ask them about their values and see if they align with yours because this can, you know, be a really big factor if we relate to people or not. Look for a practitioner who explicitly states they have experience in working with people who've experienced trauma. And the types of modalities that might be particularly helpful include mindfulness, sensory motor psychotherapy, somatic experiencing, and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, or EMDR. These are not the only types of therapies that work, but these are the ones that have a strong evidence base behind them when it comes to trauma specifically. Pure cognitive behavioral approaches that don't incorporate any of the other methodologies that we've just talked about might not be particularly useful because um, they focus on how thoughts affect us and, and how trauma affects us is not so much about our rational thinking brain. People tend not to think about talk therapy as self-help because you literally have to engage another person. However, what that person is doing is allying with you to help yourself. If you don't have the desire or the capacity to engage on that level, talk therapy is just not going to be very helpful. And that's okay. It just means you need to find another way or, you know, get to a place where you do want to engage on that level. Another way that we can start to heal ourselves from trauma is changing how we engage with our friends, families and communities. Almost all trauma is relational. It is the betrayal of our key relationships that can hurt us the most. And that means how we heal from trauma is relational as well. In fact, the goal of a lot of talk therapy is to simulate an important relationship in a safe way. And that is why the relationship we have with the practitioner is what really matters. A key step in being able to heal from trauma is to be able to communicate our pain to people and also being able to set boundaries with them. Every time we can tell people when they have hurt us and be able to discuss it and resolve it assists us in overcoming trauma. And every time we are able to assert a boundary and have it respected, that helps us heal from trauma too. 
The other way in which we can heal from trauma is through meditation and mindfulness practices. I've mentioned them briefly above, you know, with the idea of conscious breathing and building that brain-body connection. Doing a structured meditation or mindfulness course can be very helpful in assisting people to heal from trauma. These types of practices allow us to learn to be present in our bodies and mind in a structured way. And they also help us to get more skilled at stimulating that parasympathetic nervous system at will, which is a strategy that can be very important for getting us out of that fight, flight or freeze mode. The practice of mental discipline that these practices encourage also can be very helpful in allowing us to eventually integrate our traumatic memories and events into our past. Well, that brings today's episode to a conclusion. I hope this has been somewhat helpful to you. Feel free to send me a voice message to my email at gaia3n at gmail.com if you have a comment or a question. In the next episode, we're going to talk about how we can effectively support people in our communities. If you have enjoyed the podcast or got something out of it, I would appreciate it if you share it or give it a review on the podcasting service where you found it. Thanks very much for listening.